Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's give Jesus glory. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Amen. Wow. Hallelujah. Um, look, I just want to share a few thoughts this morning. Not going to be very long. Um, I guess that's relative. But ultimately, day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. So no. And, but <laughs> in all seriousness, um, I just want to share some thoughts that to, to encourage you. Um, you know, in Ephesians 4, I'm not going to read this passage really, but I'm just going to refer to it. Ephesians 4, and then there's another passage, it's actually in Daniel 11, 32, and then one more in Luke 19, verse 10. So in Ephesians 4, it talks about how Jesus gave gifts to the church, starting at verse 11, and these gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors, and teachers. And the New Living says their responsibility is to equip God's people. Now, listen to this. The word equip actually has a double meaning. It means not only to give someone um, gifts and um, activate them so that they're able to use those gifts and help, as the next part of this verse says, to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, but it also speaks of a process of even bringing healing and wholeness to our lives. So it's I, I can unpack that in the future, but... That's the idea. So how many know that if you send someone out to just do ministry and you throw them in, particularly a very significant position, if they're not ready, all right, think about this. If you send someone into a war zone, into a battle, a soldier, and they are not equipped, that's a disaster. You're potentially sending them to their death center. So there is a place where they learn the skills, they learn how to fight, use their weapons, but there's also a lot of stuff that has to happen in here and even here. So with the Lord, he calls us to himself. You see that? I want you to understand that. He calls us not just to do something, but he calls us to himself. In Mark chapter 3, and I'm preaching extemporaneously. In Mark chapter 3, after Jesus spends the night in prayer, Luke's account says he spent the entire night in prayer. He came down from the mountain. He chose 12 to be apostles, led by his father. But in Mark's account, chapter 3, it actually says that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, to heal the sick, etc. But I want you to understand, please, the first and foremost calling of every child of God is to be with him. Come unto me. Right? Come unto him. So our calling is not to a church, not to a leader, not to a ministry assignment, but to Jesus Christ. That is our calling. And if we don't get that right, 
if we don't put that in its proper order and place, then everything that we build upon will be flimsy. It will be like a house, Jesus said, that is built upon the sand. When the winds blow, when they're shaking, the house will fall. So the calling is to be equipped in order, yes, to do his work, but the implication in the original language here is to be whole in him. Now, that's very important. The scripture that I mentioned, because oh, let's just continue for a second. It actually says this will continue until we all come to unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. So it's the knowledge of God's Son. That word knowledge doesn't mean just um, intellectual knowledge. It means experiential knowledge. It speaks of actually knowing someone personally and intimately. Then it continues, and it says, knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then it says in verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind, new teaching. So that obviously can apply not only to teachings, but it can apply to adversity, hardship, disappointment, um, you know, failures, all of that stuff. No matter what happens in life, if we're anchored in Jesus, ultimately our relationship is strong in him that no matter what happens, we're strong. We're strong. Sometimes I have, I, I've had, I've been asked this question. And we've been in ministry for a long time, um, over 35 years. And I can say this. People have said to me, how, how is it that you're still in ministry? Like, you know, tell us your war stories. Yes, we've still got bullets in our body that, you know, the surgeons weren't able to remove and shrapnel. Yes. But ultimately, the question is like, how come you're still in ministry? I'm not in ministry. I'm with him, and he's called me to minister. If, if he said, I want you to sell life insurance, nothing wrong with selling life insurance, by the way. That's the call. We're obedient to him. But he hasn't asked us to do that. Trust me, I've tried to walk away from the call of God many times, many times. But like Paul, he said, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. You see, we have to be faithful to him. If it becomes about, I want to build a ministry, I want to, you know, do this or do that, then that is idolatry. We have to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Our life has to be built in relationship to him and understanding who we are in him. And then out of that, we do what he's called us to do, whatever that may be. Whether you're called to preach, you're called to, to be a school teacher or, or anything else in life, then you're being obedient to God and that's it because you are rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. It's critical that we get this right. And so when things happen, unforeseen events transpire, yes, it affects us. We're all human beings. 
we get disappointed and sometimes even worse. But we still recognize that the church is built on Jesus. It's built upon him. And if my life has been built upon him as a foundation, I will stand no matter what happens. So it continues to say here, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. You see, he's about building, as Pastor Joshua said, a community. A community that is one in him. And ultimately, that causes the body to become strong and healthy. But I just want to share with you just two things that I've learned about having a strong relationship in Jesus. So the question, as I was saying, is people say, how is it that you're still in ministry? I'm like, well, why wouldn't I be? I'm not walking away from Jesus. Can I, in all honesty, say, Jesus, I love you, but I hate the church. Jesus, I love you, but if you've called me to preach the gospel, if you've called me to be connected with your body, your bride, sorry, no. A early church father actually made a statement, and he basically said this, and I'll, I'll put it in the vernacular, but he said this, if God, so basically, sorry, let me rephrase that. If the church isn't your mother, then God isn't your father. If the church isn't your mother, then God isn't your father, because the church, as flawed as it is, now, come on now, look at yourself, right? Look at, and you're like, hey. So what happens is, hey, I'd attend the church, but there's too many hypocrites. Right, there was, as soon as you walked in the door. I'm just being straight with you, okay? I'm just from North America, right? That's the way we talk. Straight up, real facts. Guys, as soon as we walk in the door, guess what? That's the standard of perfection only Jesus has set. Yes, we aspire. Yes, we should be an example, 100%. But we have to live in a place where we recognize that only Jesus is perfect. And we build our relationship with him and upon uh, one another on him. It's built upon him. It's so important. So the question is, how do we continue? Why do we still go to church? Why do people deconstruct the church? I mean, it's a big thing right now, right? The whole point is, what is happening is that, yeah, there's things that need to change. 100%. I am a huge advocate for seeing the church become authentic and raw. I mean, we are pretty raw, right? We didn't come in with uh, all the bells and whistles to plant this church. And it's not about performance here. It's about Jesus. It's about being authentic. And we may not have a worship team some days, like today. Team members have COVID. True story. So here we are, but we're here for him. The audience of one. To worship Jesus and to connect with him. And no matter what happens in life, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to follow him to the death. To the death, if need be. I am going to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, 
still in no turning back no turning back I believe the church's finest hour is ahead God is doing a shaking God is moving God is purifying all of our hearts and we need to humble ourselves not point the finger but humble ourselves and just say Lord please whatever needs to change in my life change it Help me to love people the way you love them. Help me to love my brothers and sisters the way you love them, Jesus. And help me, Lord, to turn my full attention and devotion to you. Change me. Conform me to your image and likeness. Very quickly, Luke 19, verse 10. It's an amazing verse. It says this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the new King James. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, some other translations will say the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Okay. Now, I'll get a little bit technical for just a second. If you were to break this down and look at the original language, the grammar, the construction, you will see that it literally says this. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save lost. That's what it says, lost. So, there's a lot of um, freedom here in the translation. How do we interpret that? Well, if you look at what it's saying, the word save, soteria or sozo, actually has a messianic meaning. I know I'm getting a little technical for a second, but it's pointing back to, it's pointing to Jesus and his kingdom. And the interesting thing about this is that Jesus came to bring a kingdom, right? That's what the scripture says. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. And the idea is this. What was lost, yes, people are lost, including people, but not only the lostness of people in terms of we don't know him, our lives are perishing without him, but what was forfeited, what did the original couple lose as a result of their disobedience in the garden. That's what it's really referring to. That Jesus came to restore what was lost in the garden. And when you read Revelation chapter 2, one of the things that he says, Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, he actually says, if you overcome, if you remain faithful to me, he said, you will inherit life and it speaks about the garden of God. You'll eat from the tree of life in the garden of God. And the idea is paradise means garden. And, and it's speaking about a restoration. Ultimately, Jesus came to restore what was lost. What was lost? There's really three things, generally speaking, that were lost. Number one was our relationship with him. Adam and Eve walked in a place of intimacy with God in the garden. Remember that? It says in Genesis 3, 8, that after they had eaten the forbidden fruit, it says they heard the sound, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, it doesn't say they saw him, but they heard the sound. Now, how did they know it was the Lord God versus an animal, right? I mean, when you hear someone walking, in, in a garden, 
right? You don't see them. How did they know that it was the Lord God versus someone else or something else? Good question. Glad you asked. Because the Hebrew word that's translated sound actually means voice. They heard the voice of the Lord God in the garden. You may not physically see someone, but you know and can recognize their voice if you have relationship with them. If there's intimacy, if there's experience, you have relationship with them, correct? So you can be in the midst of a crowd, but your, your uh, better half begins to say something, and you go, I know who that is. That's Lynn, right? That's Kelly or whomever you're married to. And you know that. Or close friend, you recognize their voice, even though you may not physically see them. A child, a baby, it doesn't take long for them to begin to recognize the voice of their parents. And it's an amazing thing. You know, think about this. The child is, is in uh, its bed, and, and, and you are walking toward the bedroom, and you're speaking, you know, all the ways that we speak to, to babies, to children. And, you know, that child is getting excited, bouncing, and, and doesn't see you physically, but knows the sound of your voice. And the idea here, guys, is they had an intimate relationship. But when they made the choice to eat from the forbidden tree, sin entered the world, disrupted this close connection, and as a result, there was a loss in their ability to directly commune with God, leading to a loss in intimate relationship and in knowing his presence as they once did. Jesus came to restore that. When he's praying, interesting, John 17, which is, it's the longest recorded prayer session, Jesus. Now, he wasn't, if you read it closely, it doesn't seem that he was actually in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying John 17, but he was close to the garden. And one of the things he says, he's praying first of all for, for himself, then for the disciples at that time, and then for every person that would ever live and come to believe and put their faith in him. He prays into the future for you, me. And in John 17, 3, he says this to his father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So eternal life, life restored, which Adam and Eve had life before they ate of the tree. They had life, right? They lived forever. They wouldn't perish. They had life. Eternal life, the reason why they had eternal life was because they knew God the Father. In him is life. In him we live and move and have our being. So this is eternal life, that they may know you. The Greek word is gnosko. And gnosko means to know intimately, experientially, personally. It's used of the most intimate relationship between a man and a woman. In the Old Testament, the equivalent Hebrew word is yada. Again, used of that same type of relationship. And God is saying this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, 
the only true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. Very interesting. The word voice, they heard the sound or the voice of the Lord God in the garden means to call aloud. It implies that we had such an incredible relationship with God that it was like he would call for them. And that's clear, right? Adam, Adam, Eve, Eve. And we know that. And they were hiding from him. And the interesting thing, there's really a play on words here. Verse 8 says they hid themselves from the presence of God. The play on words here is that before their disobedience, they actually hid themselves in God. But now they're hiding themselves from God. And our calling today, you know, the Bible says, I believe it's Isaiah 45, 15. It says, surely you are a God that hides yourself. Now, let me tell you that God is not hiding from us. He's hiding for us. What that means is he's inviting us into intimacy. I'm inviting you into a personal relationship. So sometimes we're like, where are you, God? And God's like, I'm here, but you need to search for me. You need to seek me. Jeremiah said in chapter 29, he said, you will seek me, God speaking through the prophet, and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So God calls us not to be just casual inquirers, but deep seekers of him. And many have a superficial relationship with God, and sometimes we get discouraged because it's like we knock on the door once or twice, and it be, see, to us it's like God's not answering us, and so we just stop seeking him. But the Bible says we have to search for him with all of our heart. The Bible says keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. What? Ask until you receive. Seek until you find. Knock until the door is open. Seek him until. Call upon his name until. We're called to that place of intimacy in God. That place at times where, I, look at this, in the natural, sometimes if you feel that your relationship is, is strained in a marriage, you've been estranged, you feel like there's a disconnection, you have to be intentional to actually make a reconnection, to take time, to spend time, to invest, to pour into that relationship in order to strengthen and reestablish that intimate connection. It just doesn't happen. You need to spend time with your partner, your spouse, if you want to have a strong marriage, a strong relationship. You have to spend time. Same with God. Same with God. So the idea here is they hid themselves from God, but before they sinned, they were hidden in God. In fact, the word hide literally means to lay in one's lap or bosom. It also speaks of being warmed by one's breath. I want you to think about the book of John for a moment. I love the, the gospel of John. It's, it's amazing. Um, there, the number seven is used repeatedly in the gospel of John. For example, there's seven miracles. But there's also seven times 
where this statement is made, the disciple whom Jesus loved, seven times. By the way, who made that statement? God about himself. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. He made that statement about himself. Now, I want you to think about this. The last time that phrase is utilized in the Gospel of John is in the final chapter, 21. And here we see a reference to this disciple whom Jesus loved, who also would lay his head on Jesus' bosom. So the idea, I want you to think about this, is John, who, and he and his brother James, known as sons of thunder, Boanerges, they came into this place, he in particular, where he knew he was so deeply loved and valued by Jesus. That's not arrogance. We all are called to that type of relationship. I think I said this last week. If I didn't, it's okay. If I did, it's okay. But I was speaking at a conference, and I was speaking on intimacy with God and knowing our identity, and we had to have weird name tags. Did I say this story last week? Okay. Uh, Everybody here was here last week? No. Okay. Anybody here? Were you here last week? No. But the point is, what happened was I, I had this name tag. You know, it says, hello, my name is. And where it would say, Glenn, I put father's favorite son. And you should have saw the reaction. <laughs> Hi, my name is. And then they, what do you immediately do? Look at the name tag, right? Hi, my name is. And then what you're doing is you're looking at the name tag of the person, and it says, Father's favorite son. <laughs> so so I, I said, yeah. And they said, oh, your father's favorite son. <laughs> I said, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I can be super serious if I need to be. Uh, what are you laughing at? <laughs> and they're like, who do you think you are? <laughs> I, I, who do I think I am? I read, read the label. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and they're like, but you are smart. You are smart. But I know it. I know it. Why? Right? Because this. Intimacy. How did John know he was the father's favorite son? His head would lean on Jesus' chest. So a proximity speaks of intimacy, which actually brings us to a place of security in our identity. Woo! Now, can I just say something? Because this knowledge is not a, an intellectual knowledge. It's not a knowledge where we just know the right scriptures, but it's a heart knowledge. So you can quote all of the scriptures that have to do with your identity in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, beloved of, of the Father and of Jesus. All of these scriptures. In fact, there's um, an entire book, many books actually, that have been written about this. And uh, sometimes it's referred to as new creation reality. New creation reality. D.W. Canyon wrote a book called New Creation Reality. And that's a great book, but 
my contention is that many have read that book and other books similar and have not really come to the place where that's become a reality in their life. It's head knowledge. That's it. And, and sometimes when, when you are tested and, and when like the enemy comes against you like he did with Jesus, right? The first thing Satan did when he came to tempt Jesus was this. If you are the son of God. Well, the father had just publicly spoken and said, this is my beloved son. And he's calling into question his identity. And we are at a place where, like Jesus, it doesn't even affect us. We don't even call it into question. Like, oh, wow, who am I? Does God love me? Or maybe God's angry at me. Maybe, maybe I did something to, to cause him to turn his back on me today. But if we are established in the reality of who we are based on the fact that we have more than just a reference to the word of God, but also a connection to the God of the word, then it brings us to a place of supernatural establishment. We're established in him. We are built on the foundation of a relationship with him. And out of that relationship, we know who we are. People can say things about you. You can just laugh. Are we perfect? Do we stuff up? Yes. But the fact is, we still are his sons and daughters. And he loves us. And nothing will change that. And that love should not cause us to live recklessly, to live sinful lifestyles, but on the contrary, to become more and more surrendered and consecrated to him. So, this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God. So, our identity is restored. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve lived in a state of innocence, right? Without the knowledge of good and evil, they saw themselves as the pure creation of God, perfectly reflecting his image. Wow. Wow. And, and then what happens is, by disobeying God's command, they gain knowledge of their own capacity for sin and wrongdoing. Um, they become aware of their nakedness. And this newfound awareness brings about feelings of guilt, shame, vulnerability, which in turn alters their perception of, their self, of themselves and their identity as bearers of God's image. So sin... What's the Bible say? For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. So when you sin, what happens is you fall short of the glory. In fact, in the original language, it actually the tense that's used there means that you keep falling, keep falling, keep falling, keep falling, keep falling short of the glory of God because of sin. So the remedy, the solution to sin was the cross. And we are made righteous with the Father because of what the Son did on the cross. And then we are restored to an intimate relationship with him. And then out of that place of intimacy, he begins to change us by his glory. And the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3, you can read it, 17 and 18, that we literally go from glory to glory in the image of God. We become more and more like him. That's a powerful couple of verses right there. So what takes place is 
we begin to, um, you know, obviously come back into alignment with the glory of God, with intimacy with him, and our identity is restored because he adopts us into his family. I mentioned this verse last week, Isaiah 43, 7. The Lord says, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So he formed us and he made us, but he also created us for his glory and he called us by his name. Now, in the Roman culture, when you were adopted, Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's referring to those of us who've come to know Christ, and as a result, we've been adopted into his family, right? And in Roman culture, adoption was quite a common practice, and when a child was adopted, they took on the family name, and they gained access to all the rights, privileges, and authority of that new family. Wow. All the rights, privileges, and authority of that new family. And he's called us to that place. And out of our identity, we have authority. So intimacy, identity, and influence. Everything we're called to do comes out of that. One, a, a very simple scripture. The Lord says in Daniel eleven thirty two, part B, those or they that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Look at that. If you know God, guess what word it is? It's the Hebrew word yada, equivalent to the New Testament word ganasko. Those who know their God intimately, personally, shall be strong. You know who you are because you know who he is. People say, you just need to know who you are. No, you'll never know who you are until you know who he is. Until you have a personal relationship with him, you will always second guess your identity you're standing with God. You have to have a personal relationship with him. Those that know their God. Number one, right, shall be strong as a result of knowing him. We'll be strong, guys. We're not going to be shaken. We're going to continue. We'll be steadfast. We'll be immovable. And then what happens is we'll do great exploits, which you know what it literally means? We're not on the defensive all the time. There's times when you, you just have to be on the defensive. But that's not your lifestyle. That's not what you're called to do. I'm just constantly deflecting the enemy's attacks. And, you know, I can't. I'm always under attack. I'm always under attack. No, no, no. The Bible says this. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, 7. When you know the ways of God, when a man's ways please the Lord, he brings peace. He brings peace. He brings rest. And it actually says, if you read the story of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 17 as well as 20, it actually says this, that God brought his kingdom to rest. And it says that the enemies around him were so afraid that they wouldn't even attack him because they had heard what God had done. They had seen what God had done on behalf of his servant and his people. What that means is the enemy, instead of us having nightmares and night terrors, he has nightmares. 
let's flip that narrative. And what, but guys, I want to reiterate, it's only for those who have that intimate relationship. You can know the word and read it. That's important. It does something when you, when you receive the word of God, not just intellectually, but spiritually. The Bible says, the words that I speak, John 6, 63, Jesus said, it's spirit and life. And, and the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So what that means is that we receive revelation from the scripture. But that revelation is spiritual, spirit and life. It's not just intellectual or academic. It is something that literally the spirit of God, right? What happened? Every, every, all scripture is God-breathed, right? All scripture is inspired of God. Literally means God-breathed. And when it's God-breathed, there's life. <laughs> Anytime God breathes, guess what happens? The word ruach in the Old Testament, the word in the New Testament is pneuma. And guess what? Anytime God breathes, life, life. Even Jesus, after his resurrection, sees his disciples, receive the spirit. Right? Spirit, wind, and breath. Same word in both Hebrew and in Greek. And God is doing something to his church for only those who come to a place of drawing close to him, guys. And for that reason, I, I say this not flippantly or, or glibly in any way, but for that reason, I am not shaken. I am not shaken by anything that happens in life. If, if, if whatever happens in life, what people say, what, what happens, you know, around me, remember the Bible says that though, you know, a, they, a thousand fall at your hand and, and 10,000 at your right hand, right? See, what happens is we're strong in him. But I want to just challenge you this morning. And would, would you just stand with me, please? I, I want to challenge you this morning. Where are you in your relationship with him? Do you really know him? I'm the father's favorite son. You're the father's favorite son. You're the father's favorite daughter because you have that intimate relationship with him. And he, can you imagine John leaning on Jesus' breast? He would have heard his heartbeat. I'm sure Jesus would have spoken certain things. But that heart connection, heart connection, ah, there's nothing like it. That's what the Father is doing right now. He loves us so much that he's calling us back to himself. I can tell you, honestly, a lot of books that have been written how to overcome this, how to overcome that, how to have a better marriage, how to, you know, be free, how, how to, all of these things, they're not, they would not be necessary. They're helpful, but you can read that and nothing happens. It, it all has to point back to him. It all has to point to him. Go get close to him, draw near to him, get to know him, spend time in the secret place. 
began to listen for his voice, began to draw close to him, close to him, was calling his church to himself once again. Take time out from everything that is distracting, that is that is vying for your time and your affection and devotion and give it to him. Give it to him. Give it to him. He's calling us back to himself. And I want to say that the church in this hour needs to be so strong in him. So strong in him. We're not looking for things in this world. If he wants to promote you, he can promote you easily. God can take you from the pasture to the palace. But he looks in a man's heart. He looks in a woman's heart and says, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. I want to call you. I am calling you back to myself. Adam and Eve knew the voice. Knew the voice. Calling us back to Himself. Lord, we thank you. Let's just pray. Just open your heart right now. We thank you, Father, for the calling. The calling isn't to a great ministry, the calling isn't to prosperity or success. Those are byproducts and outcomes and Sometimes, Lord, if you choose that, we will be favored. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. So return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. I just want to know you inside. The same Paul that raised the dead and preached the gospel. I just want to know you. Father, bring us to that place where we see. We press in to know you. Yeah, we pursue you. We prioritize our relationship with you, intimacy with you. Thank you, Father, that you speak to us. You reveal us. You establish us. You strengthen us. Thank you, Lord, that out of that place of intimacy, comes from him and to those who trust him no matter what happens it's his favor yes comes all the time but it's intimacy come on let's just begin to worship him this morning let's lift up our voice and pray in the spirit if you have that gift let's begin to pray in the spiritual language just begin to pray. Come on, Yes, just pray in your language if you don't have that gift right now. Just begin to worship Him. Just begin to worship Him. Come on, just begin to love on Him. Thank Him. Say, Father, thank you for loving me so much. Thank you, Lord, that you love me so much. 
Thank him for forgiveness. Thank him for reconciliation. Thank him for intimacy and being part of his family, adopted into his family. Thank him for the truth of your identity in him. Thank you, Lord, we're not conflicted this morning. Thank you, Lord, we know you. And we know who we are. We know who you've called us to be, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, any other foundation will be shaken. Any other foundation will not be strong. Lord, no matter what we go through in life, good times, times of success, times of prosperity, times of promotion, if we are favored by men, if our name is on the lips of men, Lord, we know that even during that time, if we are established in you and we know who we are in you because we know you, Lord, Father, it will not result in us falling. It will not result in arrogance or pride. Father, during the difficult times, during the spiritual attacks, Lord God, when we see failure, Lord, when our spouse leaves us, turns away from us, Lord, when our children rebel against you, Lord, when, Lord, we lose our job or our position in life, whatever it is that we may go through, which we did not anticipate happening, Father God, we will not be shaken. Because your word says that you cause all things to work together for good to those that love you and those that are called according to your purpose. All things work together for good. We praise you, Lord. We praise you for the victory. We praise you, Lord, that we are strong in you. Ephesians 6.10 says, Now be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Stand fast. Stand fast. Lord, we thank you. Having done all to stand, we continue to stand, Lord. We will not be shaken. Thank you, Father, that you're raising up a people that are strong because they know their God. They know their God. You're calling us back to you. Calling us back to you, Jesus. Back to you. Back to you. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. 
you can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.